morning, everyone. The Bible reading is from Acts 2, page 1091. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Crane, Cyrene, sorry, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people, are, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before coming before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Very quiet this morning. Morning, everyone. There we go. We're awake. Let me just say it's been a wonderful couple of weeks to be thinking about this series, Burning Hearts. And I started 
the first message by finishing with these words that I pray that uh, God would develop a hunger for us, uh, sorry, that we would develop a hunger for God and an expectation for him to be at work powerfully over these next five weeks. I said that I'm praying that there'll be an increase in prayer. We've had uh, prayer meetings Tuesday mornings always, but you're very welcome to always come and join us, seven till eight. Uh, And in particular, uh, we've got three Wednesday prayer meetings. Jamie mentioned the one we had last Wednesday. If you'd like to come and join this coming Wednesday, eight o'clock till 9.15, we are praying for people who are outside of God's family to come in. And if you have got friends and family, we would love you to come and join and pray with us. And then the last one of those prayer meetings is just for ourselves personally uh, in our walk with Christ. But I also said I'm praying that there be a deep honesty about our spiritual state. And this morning really is something that's going to touch on that. And I want to ask this question as we start, um, are you alive in Christ? Uh, That's my question for all of us, myself included. Because this morning we're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit. And my prayer has been that we'll be individually renewed and revived as a church through this series and that we will say God has been here and visited us and ministered to us in a very powerful way. And so as I start, let me pray uh, and pray for God to work powerfully in us today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful word that you bring to us in the scriptures we thank you for all of the pages there that all of it is your word and father speak powerfully this morning through these beginning chapters from the book of acts about the coming of your wonderful holy spirit may he speak to us personally this day this moment and i pray may you fill us with your holy spirit today in jesus name amen If you hadn't picked up, I'm speaking on the issue of the Holy Spirit and revival and renewal, and in the particular, about the need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And for some here, you'll be excited. I know you might think we don't speak enough about the Holy Spirit. Um, It's worth noting that when you look at how much Jesus is referred to in the New Testament verse, the Spirit, Jesus is referred to six times as much as the Holy Spirit, and it's because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to help us know Jesus. And I'll talk about that. And so the spotlight in the New Testament is on him, Jesus. And the Spirit's work is really the light that lights up him in all sorts of ways, which we'll reflect on today. For others, though, there may be apprehension. You've wondered, you've seen things with churches that uh, feature the Holy Spirit that you've wondered what is going on. Uh, You don't have to be a Christian long to know that there's deep divisions amongst churches on their attitude, their experience, their ministry. When it relates to the Holy Spirit, we've got whole denominations, uh, Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals, which divide on this issue. What I want to say to us today is this, regardless of our backgrounds and predispositions, when you look at the history of the church, and in particular the history of revivals, uh, what is absolutely clear is that whenever you see the gospel going out in power, Whenever you see sleepy Christians waking up, whenever you see nominal Christians, people who have a profession that's just in their head or they've got some knowledge but they've actually never been saved, when you see them being converted, you see the Holy Spirit working powerfully. Absolutely. And when you read through both the pages of Scripture and history, you quickly realise that you cannot be a Christian, you cannot see the church grow or be alive, 
without the indispensable and powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in us and through us if we are to see God's church grow through the gospel and that is the vision of our church. We absolutely need the ministry of the Holy Spirit if we are to grow mature in Christ. We need him to fill us constantly and if I can go back to the definition of revival from last week from uh, Stuart Piggin. He said these words, Revival is an intensification of the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in convicting converting, liberating, joy-filling and commissioning for service, awaking people to the reality of God as both the infinitely loving and perfectly holy and affirming their assurance that Jesus in his death and resurrection is the answer. And at the heart of revivals is this intensification of the regular work of the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us. And so I want to look this morning uh, at three things. Firstly, the promise of the Holy Spirit biblically, Secondly, the arrival of the Holy Spirit historically. And thirdly, the reception of the Holy Spirit personally. But firstly, the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bibles there, open up to page 1090. Uh, That's the uh, Black Church Bibles in the seats, if you've got them on your devices. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start from. And we're also going to look at Acts chapter 2, which Karen read for us. The book of Acts is the story of the early church Some would say it's the story of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They're both right. The story of the early church is the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them to do incredible acts to take the gospel out. And in chapter 1, the scene is Jesus is resurrected. He is there with his disciples. They are in this very intense school of theology learning everything that they hadn't worked out before and post his resurrection he sits down and talks to them and basically teaches them for 40 days and they have this question raised are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel and so they've still got these notions that are reflected in promises and hopes for the nation of Israel Jesus says no but what's going to happen is you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth In other words, there is a mission you're going to go on that's going to take you beyond Israel to the very ends of the earth. And what you need to do is wait because you need power to be able to do that. And the power that you need is from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew better than anyone that there was one indispensable thing that the disciples needed if they were to fulfill the mission that Jesus was calling them to, to be his witnesses to the very end of the earth. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit and I don't think it's too big a claim to say that within 50 days there are two life-changing events that take place in the city of Jerusalem the first was the death and resurrection of Jesus and without that sin cannot be paid for without the cross of Christ there is no forgiveness for anyone under God because sin is not paid for without the resurrection of Jesus death is not defeated And it will have the final say. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no eternal life for anyone because through his death and his resurrection, sin is paid for, death is overcome and eternal life is ushered in through what Christ has done. But for people to take hold of that, we need our hearts and our minds open to that reality. 
And that happens by the Holy Spirit. And so the second world-changing event was this day we call Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And you see, the Holy Spirit's ministry is powerful because he is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And what he does is he takes the work of the Son, his death, his resurrection, and he basically makes it real to us. And without his work, we cannot understand and we cannot respond and we cannot know and experience what Christ has done for us. And so as you read through the pages of the New Testament, let me just give you five things. They're actually part of that definition. I'm going to use slightly different words than what Stuart has used. But you see, without Jesus, uh, we will not be convicted of our sin. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for Jesus. Uh, John 16 verse 11 says that the Spirit will convict the world of sin, judgment and righteousness. And people are not convicted of their need for Jesus until the Spirit works in their hearts and minds to convict them. Secondly, the Spirit saves us and unites us with Jesus. Titus 3 verse 5, he has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And so the the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ in his death and resurrection so that we know we have been washed clean by what Christ has done. The Holy Spirit assures us that we actually have Jesus. And I love this, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And there's an absolute reality to that that filling of the Holy Spirit to testify with us that we actually have been saved and we're accepted as his children. And then the Spirit transforms us. Basically, Christ, by his Spirit, lives in us and he develops the character of Christ in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. Galatians 3, 5.22. Sorry, Galatians chapter 5.22 onwards. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so the experience of knowing Christ is actually having him formed in us. And then lastly, he actually gives us the power to serve him in the world. And Paul says in Corinthians, Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Without the Spirit you cannot be a Christian. You cannot grow as a Christian, you cannot serve as a Christian. He is absolutely indispensable for us and we need to be filled by him. Well, that's the first thing. We're going to come to the application at the end. The second is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. We read in chapter 2 on page 1091 these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And Pentecost was a festival within Israel. They had seven major festivals. This was one of them. It was a harvest, agricultural festival. They literally would bring in their harvest into the city and offer the harvested goods in thanks to God. Normally 25,000 people might have been there in that day in Jerusalem. It would swell to over 100,000 people. And at this point, the disciples had been praying for a number of days, probably 10 days, for the Holy Spirit to come. And they, the Jewish people who had been scattered, who had gathered, had brought a physical harvest, they were about to become a spiritual harvest 
that would actually go to the ends of the world. And we read in verse 2 that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so after waiting for approximately 10 days from our understanding, they've been praying, 120 of them. They are in the vicinity of the temple region where the people gathered. And the Holy Spirit descended upon them. It was audible. There was the sound of a violent wind. Now, yesterday and Friday had a lot of wind. And I was over doing the barbecue. And let me just say thank you to everyone who served in Serve Manly. We had a wonderful time there. Over 100 adults and kids came. And thank you for those who came. All of us will know it was very windy. You could hear it. And Luke records that's exactly what took place in this upper room. They could hear the wind. It was violent. But it was also visible, there were tongues of fire that descended upon them. Now it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament, uh, fire was a symbol of God's presence, his holiness, him revealing himself. Uh, You think of Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, and it's like they've all got their own individual burning bush as they encounter God personally and as he descends upon them through the Holy Spirit. And in Exodus, it was this revelation of who he was. I am who I am. And you see here this revelation of the Holy Spirit that comes to them individually. But it was also experiential. The disciples spoke in different tongues. Now, when you look at the New Testament, there are two different tongues that are mentioned. One is the language of angels that sometimes people pray. Uh, It sounds a bit weird at one level, but it's a spiritual language, if I can put it that way. The other that's being referred to here is actually the language of the nations. They were other languages. Let me read on verse 5. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. These are the ones who've come in for Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Now, let me just say, uh, with no disrespect, it's a bit like saying, um, are they from Dubbo? Now, I've got my cousins, they live in Dubbo, and they're, they're beautiful people. They just speak a bit slower out in Dubbo, and, uh, you know, they're country folk. And uh, that's what they're saying, aren't they from Dubbo? Um, how then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language. And when you look at the description, there's about 15 different language groups that are specifically referred to here by Luke. And every one of them, all 15, are hearing in their language the wonders of God being proclaimed. And some are just amazed and they want to know what's happening. Others are just sceptical. Some, however, made fun of them and said... They've had too much wine, in other words, they're drunk. And isn't that typical of how people typically respond to the gospel? There'll be some who are interested and there'll be others who are just sceptical. And you can kind of understand, how is this even possible? It's interesting, I read this week as I was preparing about about an encounter that a man in London had. Uh, He was a pastor, he was monolingual, he only spoke uh, English. And he met a multilingual Middle Eastern man who was Arabian, he was a Muslim. And the Islamic Arab 
happened to be serving as a translator for an OPEC oil cartel. And they were having a meeting in London. And the pastor sensed that God wanted him to pray for the Arab who was suffering a particular physical ailment. And let me just say, uh, we often do that. We'll offer prayer. And the Arab said, sure, pray for me. And so he did. And he prayed in English and then he prayed in tongues. And he had often done this, but if I can say his normal practice was the language of angels, if I can put it that way. And the Arab was amazed, just like the unbelievers on the day of Pentecost, because this Arabian man, who's very multilingual and very intelligent, um, heard the British pastor pray, pray first fluently in Iranian and then secondly fluently in Ugaritic, which was an old, ancient and obsolete language. And third, the meaning of the two prayers in Iranian and Ugaritic was exactly the same. It was identical. And so he heard, just like in Acts chapter 2, the wonders of God being proclaimed in his own languages. And the pastor had no idea. Needless to say, the man was converted and saw it as miraculous. And he came to Christ and became a strong witness amongst his Muslim believers, uh, fellow, uh, fellow Muslims. Well, we return to the story. Peter stands up and explains what's just taken place. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Come on, we haven't had that bad a night. Um, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And what he does here is he explains a prophecy in the Old Testament which spoke of this coming of the Holy Spirit in the last days. He's quoting the prophet Joel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see uh, dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out, pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And he finished by saying this, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and what he was explaining to them was that the promised Holy Spirit that the prophet spoke about has arrived and as a result the day of salvation has come the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit is for everyone and what that means is he's going to powerfully work to bring the gospel to life so that what has happened just 50 days ago with the death and resurrection is going to be now accessible and understandable and experienced by the world that day of salvation has arrived because the Holy Spirit has come and people can now experience the gospel and Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon and speaks about this Jesus whom they crucified but whom God raised from the dead and he invited people to respond and 3,000 men plus women and kids responded that day and the church came to life. And revival literally means, we saw week one, a Hebrew word to make alive. And the church came to life in Christ. As the gospel preached in the power of the Holy Spirit became real to people. And when you read the end of chapter two, you see this spirit-filled community that love to learn from the word of God through the apostles. They love to pray, they love to worship, they love to fellowship. Uh, they're incredibly generous. They gave to people in need, they shared what they had. Uh, and the spirit was working powerfully through them so that every day people were getting converted. 
It's this revived community. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, let me speak about the reception of the Holy Spirit personally. When you get to the end of Peter's speech, he says these words, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And what's happening here is the Holy Spirit was convicting them in a way that had not happened before of their sin and their need for Christ. The fact that they had rejected Jesus. What shall we do, they cry. And Peter replied, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And here's the promise, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let me say, this is the answer to, well, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? You need to repent and believe the gospel. And the promise is, God will give us the Holy Spirit. We'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what took place that day. They turned away from living for themselves, they repented. They believed the good news about Jesus. They were baptised and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What's fascinating is this. As the church grows and as the gospel goes out, what you see is even though they are this spirit-filled community, there are times when the spirit would descend and Luke records that they almost refilled. Chapter 4, only three chapters down the track, it speaks of them praying, they're afraid, Uh, because of opposition and the Spirit of God filled them again and they were filled with boldness and went out and spoke. Uh, Chapter 13, the gospel is now going out to Gentiles, some respond, some don't and the Holy Spirit again fills them so that they're filled with joy and peace. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and what you see here when you read through the book of Acts and when you read the New Testament is That even though as a Christian you'll never lose the Holy Spirit, we're in a constant need of Him to be at work in our lives and we can run empty, to put it in those terms. Paul says we need to walk in step with Him. And when you read the New Testament, Paul speaks of not quenching the Spirit. We saw that in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. It's a straight command to the church. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. We can resist the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Galatians that we can live according to the flesh and not be in step with the Spirit. In other words, what's filled our hearts is this world and the desires of our hearts that are wrong. And there's this war that takes place between, if I can say, sinful nature and what the Spirit of God wants us to be doing. And we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We need to turn away from the flesh. We can sometimes be seeking to minister in our own strength and not in the power of the Holy Spirit and just relying upon ourselves. We can get caught up in this world so that we love this world rather than loving God. And Paul in Ephesians talks about, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. I started this Burning Heart series two weeks ago, speaking of my holy discontent. 
And it was due to the increased secularization of our culture, which no doubt is taking place at an ever-increasing rate. It was due to sadness to learn that as a denomination here in Sydney, that we had plateaued at best, probably in a slow decline. It was due to my own interactions with people here at St Matthews that brought me to the conviction that we needed to see God work powerfully in us and that we need to be alive in Christ and filled with his Holy Spirit. And as Jamie said, when I went to America and touched base with some of my roots spiritually, God just put a fire in my heart that we would experience him doing a great work in us and would fill us with his Holy Spirit and set us on fire for him and the gospel. And that we will be like the church in the first century that turned its world upside down. And revival's our time when the Holy Spirit works intensely. It is the regular work of the Holy Spirit that is intensified in churches. And each week I've spoken of a revival. I want to just mention one that was mentioned at the lecture on revival by Stuart Piggin in 1902. And I mentioned it because I've actually been a part of this geography. Um, in 1902, it was probably the closest that Australia came to a great awakening in Christ. Uh, a huge revival in Victoria, but there were also revivals in other parts of the country, including the Illawarra and including the parish I worked in, which was Fig Tree and Mount Kembla. Now, one parish. And Mount Kembla was a mining village, as a number of other villages in the Illawarra was, and to this day still is. And in 1902, the Spirit of God um, brought fire to these coal mining villages. And I'll read you what Stuart Piggins said in his lecture. Mount Kembla, um, the work was described as gloriously monotonous with the fire of the Spirit falling upon these villages. Gloriously monotonous. Mount Kembla, 131, came to Christ. Mount Kira, 214, came to Christ. Balgownie, 183. Bulleye, 292. Helensburg, 234. And these are all the miners, hardened men who turned their backs on God. And the revival made such an impact on the moral tone of the community. The minister who was involved with it was an Australian Wesleyan evangelist, David O'Donnell. And he was asked the question, well, what's happened? And he said, well, works meet for repentance. In other words, when the Spirit comes, he's going to change people's lives. And they will be transformed as they grab hold of the assurance and the work of Christ and the new life of Christ is in them. And he said this, and I quote, first, payment of debts. There were four things he noted. Payment of debts. In other words, tradesmen report the settlement of accounts that had long been regarded as bad. Now, any tradie will know that, that they write off debts. So they go, that person's never going to pay it. All of a sudden, these men came to Christ and paid all their debts off. Second, a pure language. It's said that in the Mount Kira pit, an oath has scarcely been heard since the mission. Now, here's how profound it was. They all used to swear like troopers. The pit ponies, the... the Horses that worked in the mines, after the revivals came, could not understand the language of the miners because there was no swearing. Just think about that. Third, a fair day's work. 
The proprietor of one of the mines told uh, this minister that the biggest day's output of coal they had ever had followed the mission. In other words, they all started working properly. And lastly, all the churches reported greatly increased congregations and increase in the membership. And it was reported even in the secular press, particularly about the pit ponies not understanding the miners' language. Now, tragically, three years later in Mount Kembla, they had the largest land disaster in Australian history. 95 men died in a mine collapse. That is the church there. I've preached many times there. I've done weddings up there. That graveyard holds all 95 men. There's brothers and sons and cousins all buried together. Let me read to you one of the epitaphs on one of the tombstones. Make haste to Christ, make no delay, for no one knows their dying day. And when you walk through that graveyard, it's a very godly place because of the impact the gospel had. And many of those men died in Christ, having been wonderfully saved. And you see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes in power and he fills people and they are convicted of their sin. They are saved gloriously through the gospel as the work of Christ is applied to their hearts and minds. They are assured as the Spirit testifies with their spirit that they have Christ, that they are his. They are transformed as the Spirit builds the person and character of Christ in them so that they are not the same. And they are sent out and they are empowered, filled by the Spirit, to preach and to live and to just do wonderful things for God. And I want to ask us today, do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I want to talk to two conditions of people. Firstly, you may be here, you are a Christian, but you've been walking with Jesus and you know the petrol tank of God's Spirit is running on empty and you need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. There is no joy in knowing Christ. There is no strength and conviction to live a godly life. And so often sin takes over. There is no power to your witness for Christ in the world. I want to invite you to come forward for prayer, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But you may be someone who has never really known the Spirit at work in your life because you've actually never really taken hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though you may know about him, you've never received him personally. And because of that, you've actually never received the Holy Spirit. He's never been poured into your heart and mind. And I want to invite you to also come forward and receive Christ and be filled by his spirit. Dave and the band are going to come out and they're going to lead us in a song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Us. And I've been praying this week and fasting that God would fall afresh on us through this series and in particular this day. And friends, in faith I've opened up more space for people to come forward and if you hear the spirit of God speaking to your heart and mind this day that you need more of him I invite you to come forward the prayer we've got prayer partners organized they're going to come forward as we sing it's also the uh, collection song so I'll let you work out the practicalities of getting uh, offerings into the basket and connect cards but let me invite you if you are not alive in Christ this day, to come forward and be filled by his wonderful Holy Spirit.